Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome. With Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a serious XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. All right, so Book Club is now in session. And momentarily from the SiriusXM headquarters here in Washington, D.C., I will be joined by the former and he hopes future governor of the great state of Florida, one Charlie Crist, who has written a brand new book, which is titled The Party's Over, How the Extreme Right Hijacked the GOP and I Became a Democrat. Any Floridians in the house? Or are we all a Washington, I-95, Philly, New York corridor kind of a crowd? No, no Floridians here. All right. Hopefully the governor doesn't know that. So there's no vote up for grabs, at least in the studio audience, certainly in the uh, in the listening audience. Look, I think this is one of the hottest races in the country. And I'm, I'm a political animal, so I love talking this kind of subject matter. I'm also interested in his story because of what he's gone through. Uh, Governor Christie having been a Republican for so many of his elective years and then, of course, changing to independent. And then in his case, having come full circle and now a Democrat running against Rick Scott. So here he is. Charlie Crist is joining us now. Hey, Governor. How are you? We're about to put Rick Scott in that seat. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. He's already in a seat, but we'll get him out of it. <laughs> so, uh, With your help and hey, God's blessing. Hey, wait a minute. Is that a Red Bull? Red Bull light. You don't strike me as a Red Bull kind of a guy. What's Only up with I'm that? Only when I'm campaigning. Only when I'm campaigning. Seriously. Yeah, it's true. I've, I have never had, this is not a holier than thou, I have never had a Red Bull. Well, yeah, there's nothing in it. I mean. What's that all about? It's like coffee, only it's colder. And so as a Floridian, when you're campaigning in August... It's better to have something that's cool. I used to do Mountain Dew, and then they came out with this stuff, and it works. Yeah, I've always yeah. been a Dew guy since the days when I was a kid. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Altoona. So, 
Yeah, I know. Born uh, there, but moved uh, to Atlanta. Well, now I know quick. the whole story because of, I've read The Party's Over. It's so a great I, book, isn't it? It is a great book. And, and there are You're a lot kind. of parallels between the two of us, although I, I've not yeah. completed the journey that you began, and I don't expect to. Are you still a Republican? Uh, no, I'm an independent, and I have been You're for the last five. <laughs> right, but in, in the book, you say I'm in you say I'm in Nowheresville. There's, there's a reference to the Nowheresville of independence. Yeah, well, it, it's not meant as derogatory, I can assure you. Um, what I mean by that in the book is that, especially a state as large as Florida, if you're running statewide, it's very difficult to be successful without a party infrastructure to to help you out. And that's what I mean. It, it's, uh, you know, Connecticut, you can do it, obviously. Um, God bless Joe Lieberman. But, you know, in a big state like Florida, there's almost 20 million people. I mean, it's it's huge. And not having that infrastructure already in place makes it makes it really challenging. But I'm happy to be a Democrat. I'm really glad. I, I got to tell you, I feel at home. And uh, I have had friends of mine, Michael, you prefer Michael to Mike, yeah. um, who have always uh, said to me, Charlie, you're really a Democrat and you just don't know it. And and I think they were right because, you know, I always cared about public school. I'm a public school kid. I have three sisters. Two of them have been public school teachers. Uh, my dad's a family doctor, but he was on the school board when I was a kid. I've always cared about the environment. It's hard, you know, to be a Floridian and not care about the environment. Um, and, uh, you know, so those things are, are sort of innate within me. And I was Republican, as you probably read in the book, because mom and dad were. It was kind of the same reason I'm a Methodist. Mom and dad are, right? Sure. And, and it's kind of like that. And Well, I left for the same reasons you left. And, and we're, we're way ahead of ourselves. But, when did you leave? Uh, I, left, uh, I left in 09. I, in, in 08, uh, after 30 after 30 straight years of never voting for anything but a Republican for president, yeah. I'd voted for plenty of Democrats, but I had never voted for uh, a Democratic candidate for president. But in, in 08, uh, I voted for Barack Obama. And I did it in a public way because, you know, I was, I was on many radio stations across the country. We talk politics sure. each and every day. And I thought I owed it to the audience to say, here's what I'm doing and why. I tried, Governor, not to do it in a heavy-handed way. I didn't tell people this is what you should do. Right. This is what I'm doing. And it, it's, a, it's a story for a different day. I, I was largely motivated to cast that ballot in a cycle where he was running against John McCain right. because of foreign policy and because I became convinced that we were not waging the war on terror properly. And that I thought, I mean, most people got caught up in, in the Obama wave for economic reasons. That didn't explain it for me. For me, it was that I thought, and to my credit, in one respect, we needed to be in Pakistan. Uh, it was the only area where I was somewhat of a, a soothsayer. Anyway, long story short, no, I, no, also, no. I also wanted to get out because uh, so much of what you describe in the book, you know, you draw a straight line between Shivo uh, and, and Palin. And all of that craziness was just something I, I, I couldn't take any longer. You actually read it. I'm flattered. Yeah, yeah. we're going to get into it. Good. Listen, let me, let, me, let me go back and start over. Take your time. Politico Whatever. today yes. reports that you're up seven. Yeah. So what, what's the current state of the race against Rick Scott from your perspective? Well, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm very pleased. And, you know, um, fundraising has gone well, thank God. And the, uh, the team has come together very nicely. Um, I'm very pleased about that. And Jim Messina, who was the manager of the president's campaign, is our senior political advisor. He's a brilliant guy from Montana. And, um, you know, we have a a fellow named Teddy Goff, who did all the digital for the president, is uh, handling that for us. And a wonderful lady that is doing our fundraising, Jessica Clark, 
Um, so we have a great team assembled and, and many others, too. Um, I couldn't be happier, to be honest with you. Uh, Alex Burns was on this morning from Politico. <laughs> and we were talking about your race. Yeah. And he noted that, I mean, like me, he, he loves your race. Love it insofar as we're political junkies. And I think this is the most exciting race in the country. It's unusual. The Floridian <laughs> gubernatorial race. And he said uh, on my program this morning that, that one of the unusual aspects is that the rap on Charlie Crist that's being asserted by the GOP is both that you are a man of no principles and that you represent the principles of Barack Obama. If I might, to that point, I am where I am because I do have principles. You know, the uh, the party that I used to be a member of, that you did as well, um, has radically changed, at least the leadership of it. Uh, several years ago, it was virtually taken over by the Tea Party. Uh, and, and I like to quote my friend Jeb Bush because he says it better than I ever could. He says that today's Republican Party, at least the leadership of it, is perceived as being anti-women, anti-minority, anti-immigrant, anti-education, anti-environment, anti-gay couples. I mean, after a while, there's nobody left in the room. (laughs) And, you know, my mom and dad, Charlie and Nancy Christ, raised my three sisters and me to do unto others, to be decent to people, to be kind, to be caring and compassionate. And, you know, the notion that you know, you want to tell people what to do in their personal life every minute of their life is is not a sort of live and let live attitude. And I just couldn't, if I'm being true to me and who I am, then I couldn't stay in that club and be honest and be true to my principles and my convictions. And, you know, I just feel it was time to get out. And I'm very happy to be a Democrat. You talk in the book about the uh, People's Party being born into the Republican Party. I mean, I think yes, that's sir. the way most party affiliations come to pass is whatever our parents. It'll be interesting to see. Right. I we, we have uh, we have four at home, three of them boys. Uh, one is about to turn 18 next month. And I'll, I'll be very interested if he'll tell me, which is 50 50 to see which way he registers. <laughs> yeah. You tell a story in the book. It's 1976. You're on a college campus. FSU. It's, How about them Knowles? <laughs> it's election day. Yes. And right. you realize, uh oh, I haven't voted. Exactly. And then, you know, it's uh, and I've been involved because, you know, my dad, as I mentioned before, ran for the school board when I was like nine years old and I campaigned for him and I was, you know, student council president in junior high and my senior class president. These things, civics mattered to me. And trying to make a difference and, and do, you know, help people. So it, it gets around 1976. I transferred from Wake Forest to Florida State. And I'm in my fraternity house. And I saw a buddy of mine around lunchtime. And I said, Tom, did you vote absentee? It's, it's our first chance to vote for president. And he said, no. And he was from St. Pete, too. And I said, neither did I. I said, hey, man, this is a big deal. You know, I'm going to go to St. Pete. You want to come with me? I mean, it pulls in close until seven. It's noon. We had plenty of time to get there. Two hundred fifty miles. Drive. Yes, sir. Right. And so we jumped in my little red Mustang too, and headed to St. Pete. Went to the polling place, voted, turned around, and came back to Tallahassee. And you know, I've never missed a vote for president ever. Uh, Nineteen eighty-six. Another commonality that we that we have. Yeah. We both ran for office. In 1986, I was in law school. I ran for the state legislature in Pennsylvania. I I came up 419 votes shy. I've since located 322 of those people, uh, by the way. In in 1986, Charlie Charlie Crist is 29 and runs for the state Senate. Yeah, that's true. How many did you lose by? Well, ultimately, it was a four-way Republican primary. Right. Um, I, I led... 
uh, of the four of us, the local paper, St. Pete Times now, it's the Tampa Bay Times, endorsed me. And because um, I had no money. I didn't raise any money. And I'm running against these wealthy guys, right? And I'm 29 years old, a young lawyer working for minor league baseball. And uh, at any rate, I won the first round of the primary, but had a runoff, and I lost by about 200 or 300 votes, something like that, in the runoff. But, uh, but it was a great experience. The abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of a factor will that be in your current race? You know, that's a great question, Michael. I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, it might be quite an issue because, um, you know, Rick Scott is he wants to tell women what to do and what they can't do. And and I don't. I mean, I'm pro-life. You know, I am for life is what I mean when I say that. Um, I don't want to impose my will on others ever. Uh, so and, what, what does that mean as a practical matter? Well, it means that I wouldn't change the law. That's what it means as a practical matter. And I've even, as a governor before, vetoed an ultrasound bill against women when I was governor before, not a Democrat yet. And so, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, you know, and, and I hope that people will judge me by my deeds rather than, than mere words, because actions speak louder than words. And as a young state senator, when I finally did win a race in 92, one of the first votes I had was on a health care committee in the state Senate in Tallahassee. And that bill was to require a 24-hour waiting period for a woman before she could have the procedure if she had made that difficult decision. And I voted against the 24-hour waiting period as a Republican because, again, being raised with three sisters, I understood the importance of individual rights and individual freedom. And who am I to tell somebody else what to do with their personal life? Can, can you run saying both I'm pro-life and I support the status quo of, of a Roe versus Wade world? Sure you can. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. I am free to define it how I want to. Still, thank God, in the United States of America. And what I say, what I mean when I say I'm pro-life, you know, that's a tough thing that, that I don't think anybody really wants to have to do if they do it, have an abortion. Um, but it, it, and I really think we're all for life. I don't know anybody who's for death. <laughs> I hope not. And so what I what I think is true is that, uh, you know, people should be able to make those very personal decisions themselves. The government shouldn't tell people what to do. There are some countries where government tells people what to do. Ours should not be one of them. You, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Do you follow I that recent it. case in Texas where the woman was brain dead and pregnant and there was a squabble between the family and the Texas hospital and an interpretation of the Texas law. What was Charlie Crist, given your experience in the Shivo case, which we'll come to, what were you thinking as you, you monitored that Texas situation? My heart bled for a lot of people. And, and it seems to me the Shivo case was such a similar scenario, Michael. And, you know, again, why should government tell people what to do or families what to do when, when somebody is at an end-of-life situation like that, they're brain dead or whatever the scenario might be, you know, why, why should government impose what they think is right on what that family thinks is right for them? Or maybe even the individual has expressed that they don't want to continue in that vegetative state. That was a big coming out moment for you, wasn't it, insofar as you were a Republican attorney general of the state of Florida? First Republican attorney general. While this was playing itself out in your state. That's right. What kind of heat did you put up with from fellow Republicans? A lot. And and it was indirect. I mean, you're the sitting attorney general, so they don't really want to come at you. I mean, you know, you, you got a lot of authority. And but but I could tell, you know, people were not pleased that I wasn't engaged in it. Uh, I just wasn't going to play. And um, I have all the respect in the world for for Jeb Bush. He's he's a he's a good man. 
uh, I just disagreed with him on this issue. And, um, you know, I remember hearing from judges when I would come home to St. Petersburg on a weekend from Tallahassee, our capital. And a judge, and I talk about this in the book, the judge said to me, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, thank you for not overusing your authority the way I think others are doing it right now in this situation. Would Jeb make a good president? Um, would he? Uh, yeah, I think he probably would. Um, you know, he, he made a great governor, in my humble opinion. He, he's a good man. Uh, you know, as I said, I don't agree with him on everything. We just cited a big difference. Um, but, you know, when I saw him as governor when I was attorney general, and they're elected separately in Florida, um, we had a lot of hurricanes. And uh, Jeb Bush did a great job protecting our beautiful Florida during that. What stop. are you thinking from 1,500 miles away about what's going on with Chris Christie? Uh, I don't know what to think. I mean, you know, we, and none of us know what the facts are. I mean, I was attorney general, so I know we shouldn't snap to judgment that, you know, people are innocent until proven otherwise. And uh, so that's the posture I take. Uh, I hope he didn't have knowledge because, you know, if somebody decides that they're going to close down roads when they don't need to be closed for a safety reason, but maybe a political one, that's pretty unconscionable. You know, I, I, the analogy I would draw to that, Michael, is... Uh, voter suppression in Florida. And, you know, the guy I'm running against, I am one of the reasons I'm also running against him is even when I was a Republican governor in the 08 presidential election, when we had long lines during early voting, I chose to sign an executive order to expand the early voting hours and the locations people could vote. Because when I got elected governor before, I wasn't elected the governor of the Republicans of Florida. And if I get elected again this year, I won't be getting elected as the governor of the Democrats of Florida. You'll be getting elected the governor of the people of Florida. And I think the job and the duty is to do what's right for the people. And for me, it's never really been about right versus left. Because of mom and dad and how they raised my three sisters and me, it's much more so, in all honesty, been more about right versus wrong. You say in the book, truth is, I was never much of a partisan. How could any thinking person be? I believed in the power of political parties. I liked having allies. People have come together somehow to get things done, but give up my own priorities and judgment. Let others do my thinking for me. Be such a loyal team player that I forget who I am. No, thank you for any of that. Exactly. And, and I'll give you one example. When I was running for governor in 2006, you know, we, we had a, a team of advisors, and you always do in those situations, and we were talking about prescription drugs. And there was a uh, lot of debate about, you know, should Canadian drugs be able to be sold in the United States? Uh, they might be cheaper. And we got a lot of seniors in Florida <laughs> and others that need prescription drugs. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, wait a minute. You know, that's not what we believe. And I said, who's we? <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I don't have to go along with everything that the party dictates you go along with. You're still a person and an individual, too. But less and less that became the case in the uh, today Republican Party. It's a rough business. You talk in the book how at the same time you were being uh, outed as being gay and outed as being a deadbeat dad. Yeah, pretty weird. Which, I mean, make which, up your which mind. Which was it, by the way? <laughs> uh, neither, fortunately. And uh, the, way, the reason I say fortunately is because... I think that what you're really focusing in on is the um, untruthfulness about politics and the notion that people will say different things at different times to derail an effort. And why, why can't we just talk about what you want to do for the future, how you want to help the people of your state or your country, uh, and not have to castigate or demonize your opponent in the view of the opponent? 
Um, you know, I wish we could get there, but I'm not naive. I understand it is what it is. It's this is satellite sport. radio, so I get to quote you literally. Who called you a chicken shit and why? <laughs> <laughs> it was Carl Rove. And, uh, I mean, a delightful fellow. Um, what, what happened is uh, about two weeks before my election in 06, uh, I got word that uh, President George Bush was going to come to Pensacola, Florida the night before the election. And, uh, you know, would I would I be there? Well, unbeknownst to whoever it was that had called somebody in our campaign, I'd already made a commitment to be with Senator John McCain in Jacksonville, Florida at the same time. And so I, I called Jeb, our governor, the brother of the president. And I said, uh, listen, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I've heard that your brother's going to be in Pensacola the night before the election. I've already got a commitment to be in Jacksonville with Senator McCain. I hope this can be worked out. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed, you know. And uh, he asked me, well, have the tickets been printed? I said, Jeb, I have no idea. I don't know. Actually, I said governor. And uh, so long story short, I end up going to Jacksonville with Senator McCain, honored my commitment that I made to him and wasn't with the president in Pensacola. And to Carl Rove's way of thinking, that was a sin. So he calls me the morning of the election. I'm in my hometown of St. Petersburg. I get the uh, call on my cell phone, and he goes off right away. And, and as Were you, those his opening words? Pretty much. Yeah. And I was stunned. I'm like, wow, man, you need to, like, chill. And I, I just, well, honestly, I couldn't believe how unglued he was. And I, I felt sorry for him. I thought, you must be under some really intense pressure to, you know, call me and talk to me like you're my dad and you're scolding me. I thought, you know, who do you think you are? Charlie Crist's brand new book is called The Party's Over, How the Extreme <clears throat> Right Hijacked the GOP and I Became a Democrat. We will return with the governor in just a moment. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. 
Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Here's Michael Smirconish with former Florida Governor Charlie Crist. Hey, welcome back to the Sirius XM headquarters in Washington, D.C. Okay, the live studio audience knows Charlie went to the head. So he's not here right now. <laughs> uh, how we doing so far? And is there a suggested question that you want to make sure I ask him when he comes back? Anybody? Yeah. Hang on, Frank. Let, let me get you a mic. So uh, if we pass that up to you so that we can all hear what you have to say. And by the way, thank you all for being here. It's awfully nice. We love doing this. I love doing this. And it's, it's nice that so many are here. Go ahead, uh, Frank sir. Frank Cooper, Arlington, Virginia. As a Democrat in Arlington County, we once had a committee chairman who was an ex-Republican. And there were people within the Democratic Party who would never accept anybody who had ever voted for Reagan or anything like that. They were, if you were not a lifelong Democrat, you were not a real Democrat. I was wondering what kind of resistance the governor has met within the party and the Democrats and how cohesive does he think that the party is behind him? I think that's a great question. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I think that there's such a mindset these days of the line existing in the sand that if you were ever I mean I I know that I I can't win for losing where I draw criticism from Republicans how could you have left our party and then Democrats well why don't you join ours you know why did you remain a, as an independent and among some it, it's all or nothing I guess is what I would want to say and that that's how you're describing it another uh, suggestion or comment Hi, yes sir. I'm Dave Bernstein I'm from Atlanta Maryland my question is you know, there were a couple of high-profile uh, trials that were held in the Orlando area within the last year, year and a half or so. I was wondering how Governor Crist would go about changing the justice system in Florida. Excellent. A little, little stand-your-ground action. And now, you know, I never got to it on the air today. In, in the first two hours just sort of flew by. But I was reading about yesterday's hearing in Tampa uh, in the aftermath of the shooting in the movie theater and and some of the testimony that was offered about that 71 year old uh, former Tampa police officer uh, is a subject I'll come back to on the air tomorrow. Hey, uh, Governor, while you were out of the room, some suggested questions from members of the audience, which is usually the case. They're better than my own. So Frank from Virginia says, are you running up against a mindset among D's who say we, we can't take the fact that for so many years you were a Republican and we're not comfortable with your candidacy on that basis? No, uh, which which is wonderful. Um Blessed is the convert is kind of the uh, approach I've gotten. One of the first calls I got after I became a Democrat was from one of our former governors, Bob Graham, who's an amazing good man. guy. Great guy. Good guy. And I love the bridge. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. Sky Bridge. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's magnificent. It's uh, it's beautiful. Thank you. It spans Tampa Bay down to Bradenton. But 
At any rate, no, he called and he said, listen, I just wanted to welcome you to my party. He said, for a long time in Florida, things have been, you know, the tide had been going the other way. And, you know, Democrat to Republican. And to have somebody who was a governor become a Democrat is kind of a cool thing. And so he said, I just wanted to welcome you. And it meant a lot to me, you know, because uh, I ran against him once, believe it or not, which was absurd. Um, I was in the state Senate and I ran against him for the U.S. Senate. I, I'm not meant to be in the U.S. Senate, apparently, but um, lost those <laughs> twice. But but it was great that he did that. And, and the general reception for both Carol and me, my wife, who became a Democrat a year before me, um, she's much smarter than me, um, has been wonderful. I mean, just very warm, very embracing. For many years, I would take our sons when they were younger to this has nothing to do with politics. Permit me a, a 60 second digression. We would go and we would watch the Phillies in spring training in Clearwater. Mm. And then we would end up going further south to Naples area. And one night when we came back from the ballpark, there was a spider in the back of our rental car that just scared the bejesus out of one of my dad. There's a spider back here. and It's dark outside. I can't find the damn thing. So uh, after they all cleared out of the car, I said I killed it. And the reason I think of that bridge is because the following day we were driving to Naples. Yeah. And as I'm going across that great, beautiful expanse, the spider reemerges in the back seat. Oh, no. And the boys are panicked. And they're, Dad, you told us you killed the spider. And I, I couldn't find a place to pull over. I told that story to Bob Graham, by the way. That's a great story. He got a kick out of it. Um, okay. Uh, Dave in Maryland, who is here in the audience, yes. says, you know, there have been a lot of high-profile Florida cases recently. And among others, <laughs> I know he was referring to Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. Charlie Crist, speak to me about Stand Your Ground in Florida. Does the law represent what you think it should be? And if not, you're a former attorney general of that state. How should it be changed? Uh, I, I think it needs to be changed. Um, and and I've had this conversation with others in Florida that, you know, the notion, well, number one, being able to defend yourself is something that I believe is a uh, basic traditional American tenet that should always be upheld. We ought to have the right to defend ourselves, number one. But having said that, uh, if you're the instigator of an altercation and you end up killing somebody uh and the accountability is maybe not what you think it would be when somebody ends up dead then maybe you need to re-examine the law that permits that and 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 michael it, it makes me go back to my childhood remember when we were kids and somebody would get in a fight and the reason they got in the fight is because you started it you started it well the, the whole notion of somebody starting it and then benefiting from a law that protects them even when they end up killing somebody seems odd. And, you know, I'm just a common sense guy, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I don't know exactly how you fix it, um, but I think I think it needs to be fixed, and those kind of situations need to be stopped. As you well know as a lawyer, the, the idea here <laughs> is that deadly force is permitted as you are defending your castle. Yes, sir. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I assume you're fine with that. Totally. Right? The presumption ought to of be on, on, uh, on, on the, the intruder. On the intruder. Yeah. Okay. So are we going to expand that doctrine beyond the castle? And mm. if so, how are we going to do it? Yeah. Well, that is the question. And, and that's what this law struggles with. And, and obviously, as a result of what happened in this scenario that got so much attention, uh, the outcome was horrific. I mean, you know, a young man's dead. He's gone forever. So, you know, we've got to fix it somehow. Governor, have you watched the new movie on Netflix called Mitt? No. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. And, and, <laughs> I know where and, you're going. And you do know. Good. Because I, 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 do. I, don't, I don't know if anybody's yet asked you to respond to this, and I'd love to be the first. You're the first. Okay. I watched the other night. <laughs> I, I thought it was a terrific movie insofar as it took you. And this is, I, <clears throat> I talked to the, uh, the director a couple of days ago on air. Um, TC will remind me what his name was. Greg Whiteley. Great. Thank you for that. So it's this behind the scenes look at Mitt Romney through two cycles. And in one of the sequences, it's it's Florida and it's uh, it's 08. And he's really upset because he says, you know, you you didn't you didn't play truthful with him that I think, Governor, he said at a minimum, you'd stay out of it. And instead you endorsed McCain. Did you tell him something that turned out not to be true? No. What happened? This is what happened. Uh, he came to visit me, you know, nice person. He came to visit Governor me. Governor Romney. Correct. In St. Petersburg at a place called the Vinoy Hotel, which is not far from where Carol and I live. And this is obviously before the Florida primary, which is in January, that cycle. Uh, and he said to me um, back in 08, may not have been. Yeah, it was in January. And he said to me, um, you know, I don't know if you're going to endorse me. Obviously, I'd like it. And I'm paraphrasing. Like it if you would. But if you don't, at least stay neutral. You know, kind of pat me on the head. I'm like, okay, uh, I heard what you said. I really don't plan to endorse in this race. Uh, And that's kind of where my thinking is right now. Um, And that was that. That was the end of the meeting. And um, so, you know, apparently I haven't seen the film, so I don't know this for sure. You have better than me. Um, He was upset that I endorsed John McCain. Well, again, I'm, I'm an individual. I have freedom, <laughs> you know, because I may have said at this point in time, I'm not planning on endorsing anybody. He thinks that's something that I'm supposed to be held to. I don't think so. <laughs> you didn't promise him you'd stay out of it in total. Hell no. Why would I do that? You know, I mean, you know, John McCain is somebody who endorsed me in my primary when I ran for governor in 2006. This is now 2008, the presidential And, you know, I had either decided that I was going to just stay out or consider endorsing John because I had great feelings for him. You know, to me, he's an American hero, wonderful guy. And so, you know, in the closing days of that primary in Florida, on the Thursday before, I I remember hearing about polling that had uh, Senator McCain down by 11 and it was getting worse. And I, I felt for my friend and he called me Friday. And uh, this is the Friday before the Tuesday primary. And he was campaigning down in Miami with my friend uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, a congressman. And he said, you know, I'm going to speak in St. Pete tomorrow night at the Lincoln Day dinner. You could endorse me. And I said, when I was already set to introduce him. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that, Senator. But it'll be a nice introduction. And, and that was kind of it. And um, so then I went out on the boat with Carol the next, that Saturday. And I said, honey, you know, I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And, you know, this guy's a good man. He's been very kind to me. Uh, He really helped me when I needed help. And I said, I'm going to endorse him tonight. You know, I can't. It's the right thing to do. I can't help it. One follow up. And it upset Mitt. (laughs) Okay. Why not pick up the phone and call Mitt and say, hey, here's what's coming. Why should I? Well, just given the earlier conversation that you had apparently had where this had been the focus. I didn't see a reason to, Michael, to tell you the truth. I mean, you know, because I had told him that I hadn't planned to endorse somebody, you know, I don't have to go back to dad and tell him, guess what? I've changed my mind. No, I mean, you know, maybe it would have been sweet to do something like that. I get it, you know, 
But I had a lot going on. I was thinking about endorsing John McCain. I was getting ready to do that. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to tell anybody what was going on because I didn't think it was fair. I wanted to tell John first, not Mitt Romney. I'm not going to endorse you. I'm going to endorse him. When we come back with Governor Charlie Crist, the hug were heard or, or seen, which should it be? Both. Around the world. <laughs> we will get to the hug when we come back to the Sirius XM headquarters in just a moment. Now, back to Book Club with Michael Smirconish and Charlie Crist. Hey, welcome back to the Sirius XM headquarters in Washington. Governor Charlie Crist has just authored a new book. It's called The Party's Over, How the Extreme Right Hijacked the GOP and I Became a Democrat. All right, Gov, let's let's get to it. Here's what you wrote. Mm -hmm. The applause was just about frantic. We shook hands. The new president leaned forward and gave me a hug. Reach, pull, release. As hugs go, it wasn't anything special. It was over in a second, less than that. It was the kind of hug that says, hey, good to see you, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah. The hug. Was the hug the end of that campaign? Uh, pretty much. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, <laughs> honest pa- to God. Paint the picture. Where, where are you and what's going on? Sure. It's, uh, we're in Fort Myers, uh, Lee County, Florida. And this is February of 2009. Uh, the president had just been sworn in for the first time about a month prior. And we are in the throes of the Great Recession. I mean, everybody's freaked out. What's going to happen to my IRA, my 401k, my investments? Am I going to have a job? Is Chrysler going to stay in business? I mean, you know, it was awful. I I remember it and frightening. And I I remember over the holidays, you know, all this was starting because we had seen it, you know, begin in the fall of 08. And, you know, things were just crashing. And I get back from the holidays. I go up to Tallahassee and I talk to our budget director, a guy named Jerry McDaniel, wonderful guy. And I said, Jerry, we got to make the uh, the budget balance. It's constitutionally required in our state. And, you know, the budget is dropping when, you know, there's no money coming in. And he said, well, the president has a plan. I said, well, do tell. He said, well, he has a plan called the Recovery Act where he would actually send money to the states so that you would have enough for public education. You would have enough for law enforcement, for firefighters, you know, things that are really important basics so that uh, we can get, you know, kind of a bridge to the future while we get through this rough patch. I said, that's fabulous. That's wonderful. And so a couple days later, our office gets a call from the White House saying that the president's going to come to Fort Myers to tout this recovery uh, act, the stimulus. And would I greet him? And so some of my staff comes in to me and said, you know, do you want to be there? And I said, sure. That sounds great. And they're like, are you sure? And I said, what do you mean am I sure? He goes, he's a Democrat. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this man's the president of the United States of America, and he's coming to our state. I'm going to be there. It's the right and decent thing to do. So I go, and I got in word that he might want me to introduce him. And so, you know, he comes in, and I had a chance to have a private visit with him. And he said, number one, and I'm paraphrasing, but number one, thank you for being here. You're going to pay a price for this, and I know it. You're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. It's not what usually is happening these days. So that's number one. Thank you. Number two, I know our staff mentioned to you about maybe introducing me. Uh, Are you willing to do that? And I said, sure, I'd be honored to do it. Of course. He said, "Okay, well, you know, we'll walk into the convention center. It was packed. You know, the place was jumping. And so he said, there'll be a catwalk. It'll walk up to the podium. You go up, say what you want to say about me to speak from the heart. And then I'll come up and uh, do my thing. And that'll be it. Is that okay?" I said, perfect. 
So we do that. I walk up to the podium. I talk about the president. I welcome him to Florida. I say, you know, we need to do the Recovery Act. We need to do it in a bipartisan way. Um, You know, it's Americans investing in Americans. And I think it's important. And then he came walking up. He grabbed my hand, gave me a hug. I hugged back. And that was it. Really quick. And um, can I just Zabruder the moment? Please. Yeah. (laughs) It was the hug that killed me. How far far in advance did you commit to the hug? Was it was it before you delivered the speech? Was it when he came up? Did you get caught up in the moment? What was it? It was impromptu. It was right there. It was right there. Now, uh, you know, my political opponent in the race, um, Marco Rubio, U.S. Senator Rubio, I should say, out of respect. Um, used that hug to a great political effect. Uh, he used it on mailings that he sent statewide, and not just inside the letter, on the envelope. <laughs> you know, Charlie Crist hugging the African-American Democratic president. Is what it said. No, it didn't say that. It oh, just showed that. Right. Uh, and Reach be- your own conclusion. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a moment, there are probably many moments, but you yeah. write about this in the book where you're speaking, and I think it's at a GOP gathering uh, in the midst then of that campaign, and some guy, you know, that's a tepid response, and, and some guy shouts out, heckles you, I guess a la Joe Wilson, you lie, only in this case, to you, Governor Christ, he shouts out, why don't you go hug Obama again? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's really, where it's really starting to get a sense of what was happening in the Republican Party, or at least with the activists, and, um, and it disappointed me. And Carol was with me that evening. It was just outside Gainesville at a uh, Blue Jeans and Boots dinner. So, you know, it's kind of a raucous, rural crowd, if you will. And uh, so I heard that after I spoke or, or toward the end of my presentation. And I told Carol, I said, honey, there's there's something not good going on out there. And, you know, I don't know what the root of it is exactly. Maybe some depression about the economy. You know, people get nervous and scared and fear allows other things to come in and uh, take hold sometimes. And, you know, and and frankly, I mean, also, he's the first African-American president. I mean, I'll just call a thing a thing. And, you know, I, I wish this weren't the case, Michael, uh, but I saw what I saw. And there was an element of not being overjoyed about the fact that, uh, in some people's minds, my president's a black guy. Did you ever fear for your personal safety in, in the whole 2010 rise of the Tea Party and its aftermath? And I ask that because you recount a story in the book about going to a ball game. And I know how crazy things have been in the last couple of years. And I'm sure it, it hasn't been easy to be Charlie Crist at a lot of moments. Well, that, that, that incident was frightening. Tell I, everybody what happened. I was at a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. And... Uh, this is, I guess, September, October, I forget the exact month, um, going into the end of the campaign for U.S. Senate. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we just at a, at a last minute decision decided to go to the game. We have been holding signs on Dale Mabry Highway in Tampa where, you know, literally thousands of people are going by. So lots of eyeballs will see your sign if you're holding one up for your campaign. And I thought, I love football. You know, I, I played a little football in college. And so I said, let's go to the game, maybe relax. It's a beautiful, sunny afternoon, and hopefully the Bucks will win. We'll have some fun and see some more people. So we go to the game, and we're upstairs, and we go to the concession stand. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this middle-aged white guy who's charging toward me. And he probably weighs about 220 pounds and about six feet, six one. 
and his face is beet red. He is screaming at the top of his lungs. And it's like, you know, what the hell do you think you're doing? And I mean, it just, you know, a rant. And thank God, literally, thank God, I was still governor and had FDLE protection, Florida Department of Law Enforcement agents. It's like the Secret Service at a state level. And they literally had to get between the guy and me and stop him from charging me. And at that moment, I felt at risk. No question about it. I mean, it it was clear to me he had had a few, um, that he was not stable. uh, and, And I thank God for the agents who were there to take care of us. We'll come back with our remaining moments with Governor Charlie Chris. The book is called The Party's Over. Michael Smirconish with former Florida Governor Charlie Crist. Hey, welcome back to the SiriusXM headquarters in Washington. Uh, Governor, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate this. This is a good conversation, and and, uh, we love having this kind of dialogue in my program. So thank you for being so gracious with your time. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being here. I talked for a couple of days about the fact that you would be here, and a trucker from Jacksonville named Phil called, not a fan, and he said, a that, few. <laughs> and he said he's worried that you're a career politician because of the switch of parties, having run for too many offices. Uh-huh. How do you deal with that criticism? What's the answer to Phil? Um, the answer is, you know, one of the things I enjoy most in life is serving others. And I mean, I've done it my whole life, you know, from junior high school, as I mentioned, I think earlier in high school and and, and to where I am now. Um, but I didn't have to do this this year, you know, run is what I mean. Um, I have a great life. I have a beautiful wife. I made a little money really for the first time in my life practicing law. And, um, but, uh, you know, I'm running because I am heartbroken for my fellow Floridians, you know, cause the guy that's there, Rick Scott, uh, you know, his, he has a record and so do I. Now he's got a record as governor for three and a half years. I had a record as governor for four and attorney general before that, but he also has a record in the business sector before that. And ethics is important to me, and it's an important issue in this race. I'm running against a guy who ran a company that had to pay the largest fine for fraud in the history of the United States of America at the time, $1.7 billion, a healthcare company, a company that is supposed to care about people. And yet that company was charged with upcoding and found guilty of upcoding. Upcoding is a fancy legal word, as you know, for stealing, (laughs) taking money from taxpayers and sick people, and then using the money as a windfall that you get when you leave the company to spend $75 million of your own money to become governor of my state. You know, I, I couldn't let that stand. It's just wrong. It's wrong. And then turn down high-speed rail, not fight for Medicaid expansion, uh, you know, reduce the salaries of teachers, and then try to flip it and, you know, gain their favor in an election year conversion. We deserve better in Florida. And and whether the truck driver votes for me or not is his decision, and I respect it. Uh, but I am not doing this because it's some kind of fun ride for me. I'm doing this because I love Florida. One of the recurrent themes on my program is to talk about the level of partisanship that exists in the country. And when people ask me to explain the origins of it, uh, I offer a couple of different factors. I talk about closed primaries, which I think are an anathema to 
good democracy. I talk about the role of, of money and the constant need for fundraising and the charges that beget dollars like the Rubio envelope that you described. Yeah. I talk about hyperpartisan legislative <clears throat> districts, but I also talk about the polarized media. And I'm, I'm curious to what extent does Charlie Crist blame the polarized media world for the division that now exists in this country? That's an excellent question. And, and, and you know, it has gotten to the point you make a, an astute observation, I think, where you want to watch what you feel comfortable seeing or hearing um, and maybe a, a view that agrees with where your heart is or your, your soul. And, you know, maybe it's MSNBC or maybe it's Fox, depending on your perspective. Right. Maybe it's CNN. And, and perhaps maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. But, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly. I haven't studied it. Uh, but I imagine there's a good answer to that question. I just can't come up with it right now. Um, but, you know, a lot of things are playing a part, I think, in the division of the country. And it's frustrating for our fellow Americans. It's the last thing I think they actually want. And, and polling, I think, the day of the State of the Union, I think it was Wall Street Journal, NBC poll, said the number one concern of Americans was the divisiveness in our country. You know, we need to get over this. Well, Gallup documented within the last 30 days that 42 percent of Americans regard themselves as independents higher than D's, higher than R's and the highest measurement that Gallup has ever recorded in its history. Why? Uh, and maybe you've already answered this and we only have 60 seconds left. Did you think you couldn't win the race as an independent taking on Rick Scott? I know I couldn't. I know I couldn't. I'd already tried that and that that was not successful. One of the things I think are important in life is is to learn from your failures, not be afraid of them, but learn from them. And um, not that I really view losing an election as a failure, but but it's a learning experience, no question about it. And if you want to succeed and you want to be able to be in a position to help others and to serve them and to serve them with a servant's heart, then you have to try to use your brain to be able to do better the next time you get back out on the field. Hey, Governor, it's great to have had you here at the SiriusXM headquarters in Washington. I hope you'll come back again to the program. I read and thoroughly enjoyed the book. It's called The Party's Over, How the Extreme Right Hijacked the GOP and I Became a Democrat. That's Charlie Crist. On a, on a future visit, you can you can arm twist me and see if you can bring me with you. I think I'm content to stay as an I. Yeah. I, I like this turf. I really do. It's a good place to be, too. But uh, please buy the book. Uh, go to charliechrist.com, my shameless plug. And uh, thank you for having me, Michael. It's been a real joy. Thank you, Governor. All good things for Charlie Christ. And thank you all for, for having been here. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. And anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? 
You'll left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.